0: Are you thankful that death has been arrested through the blood and resurrection of our King? It's good news. I, I love that we sing there at the end, I'm free, I'm free forever, I'm free. Not not freedom to do whatever my flesh would want to do, but I'm free to do what God would want me to do. My, my life and my heart was bound up by sin. It was... It was in death. It was in spiritual separation from God. And through the gospel, through the hearing of what Christ has done, that God sent His Son to be a replacement for me, to be a substitute, to take my place, that's, that's good news because I am free from death. I am free from spiritual alienation and separation from God and, and free to do His will. And if you are new to North Roanoke, because I have seen a ton of new faces today and over the last several weeks, which is exciting. I love that. We're in Acts this morning, Acts chapter 18. We're going to consider verses 12 through 22. If you're new to North Road, something that you would want to know about us is typically, not always, but typically we just work our way through books of the Bible. Uh, God wrote a book. It's got 66 books, and so we just study the, the book in the way that God wrote it. Now, there are sometimes exceptions to that rule where we're We will cover a theme and then hit some specific texts related to that theme, and we'll actually do that later this month. More on that next week. But for now, we're continuing in our series in the book of Acts, and we are in Paul's second missionary journey, all right? He has been in Corinth, and last week we learned some lessons from Paul's ministry in Corinth. We saw that the Lord provides His servants with the people and the resources necessary to do His Will, right? We saw that Paul's, Paul was supplied with a job in tent making by Priscilla and Aquila. And we also saw that Paul faced a season of fear and discouragement, even though things seemed to be going well. Did you know you can be discouraged even when your circumstances are good? Sometimes you just can't put your finger on it, you can't, can't explain it. And so the Lord comes to Paul in a vision, and he provides a loving rebuke and encouragement to him, along with three key promises. One, the Lord was going to be with him. Two, though some would want to harm Paul, they would be unsuccessful. And thirdly, many would turn from sin and believe on Christ. There were many more that God had to save in Corinth. So what does Paul do after he receives this vision? He obeys. He he stays in Corinth, and he's clearly strengthened by the vision, and he, obe- he obeys the Lord, and he stays there for a year and a half, teaching the Word of God. Once more, we see in Acts that the Spirit of God, don't, don't miss this principle. This is a key principle in Acts. It's, it's everywhere in Acts. The Spirit of God works through the person of God, communicating the Word of God to bring lost sinners to the Son of God. That's the combination again and again and again. You take one of those parts out and you don't have salvation to the glory of God. But when you've got the Spirit of God working through the person of God, communicating the Word of God and the power of God, people are brought to saving faith in the Son of God. And Paul, the church planter, gets to stay in Corinth and actually gets to see the church mature a little bit rather than just having to cut and run because he's being persecuted once more. So... Paul gets to hang out in Corinth, but that does not mean his time in Corinth was not trouble-free. Would you hear with me in just a moment the word of the Lord? But I have been teaching and then singing my lungs out, and I need a nice sip of water. All right, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 18. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, which is the region In which Corinth is situated. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things, and he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Would you pray with me? God, help us to comprehend your word, to apply your word. God, by your spirit, open our hearts to receive what you have for us. God, I don't know what that is in every situation, but you do. God, we thank you that every single person here, you know exactly what they need today. God, I pray that through the preaching of your word, you would give it to them. In Jesus' name, amen. In in the text that we're considering now and will consider uh, later in the message as we read down to verse 22, what we're going to see is Paul completes his assignment. He's been sent out on a second missionary journey from the church at Corinth, and he's going to finish the job. And what I want us to see is just two basic principles this morning for what it takes to finish the job. God, God has a job for you to do. He's rescued you to do something for the glory of, of God. And the first thing we need to do to finish the job that God has for us is we need to pursue. Do you all know what it is to pursue something? Go after it, chase it down. My son had a race yesterday. I was so proud of him. He, he pursued his personal best with reckless abandon, and he got it. And, and we celebrated. And he woke up this morning tired. He never does that. He wakes up ready to go. But he pursued it, and he was, he was exhausted. I, I praise God that we have the Holy Spirit with us as we pursue this work. But we must pursue our King's work with confidence. And there's two ways, two things that undergird our confidence by resting in His promises. That God makes promises, our king makes promises to us, and guess what? He's sovereign, he's king, he's overall, which means he always keeps his promises. He doesn't just make promises and then let them go, but he has the power and the authority and the ability to keep his promises, which means that you can pursue the work that he gives you on the authority of his word because he's king. That's good news. Is that good news? I mean, I think that's good news. So when we read verse 12, if we've been with Paul... From from his conversion through his first missionary journey, and now most of the way through his second missionary journey, our natural response as we read what happens in verse 12, when the Jews gang up on him again, our natural response would be to go something like, here we go again. Right? All over again, we've seen, God, you said, Paul was not going to be hurt this time, but here we go again. We've seen him accused before a Roman official in Philippi, where he was beaten and imprisoned. Later, when officials can't locate Paul in Thessalonica, they, put Jason, they seize Jason and make him postpone, and Paul has to leave. Lord, here we go again. In Corinth, the Jews, meaning the Jewish leaders, made a united attack on Paul. There wasn't much that could unite Jews, by the way. Some were Pharisees, and some were Sadducees. Some believed in resurrection. Some didn't believe in the resurrection. Some were friendly to Rome. Some weren't friendly to Rome. They couldn't get united on anything until Paul shows up. We don't like that guy, that's for sure, preaching Jesus. So they take him, and they bring him before the tribunal, which is a raised platform where judicial decisions were made. In other words, they bring Paul into court. Have you ever experienced some "Here We Go Again" moments in your life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a Hokie fan. I have experienced some "Here We Go Again" moments in my life. They don't call them the Chokies for nothing. But you know, maybe it's a coworker who tells the same bad joke at the at the company party every company Christmas party every year. Yes, Tom, we got it right. As a dad, it was with my kids when they were younger. Golly, Lord help me. I had this terrible ability when my children were younger to know without any doubt when they were about ready to hurt themselves on the trampoline. They were going to run into a wall. Something was going to happen. But you know, there's this culture like you don't want to be a helicopter parent. You don't want to be that guy. So you don't want to say anything. So I had this internal battle all the time. Well, he's going to be the guy that's the party pooper because there's 17 kids on the trampoline and his son is going to break his leg. But I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be a helicopter dad. Two minutes later, we're throwing our son in the van and we're driving home because he's broken his leg. But I wasn't a helicopter, Dad, praise God. Man, these, these scenarios, they're, they're, they feel like such lose-lose scenarios. Here we go again, but I've got great news for you this morning. The Lord Jesus is not the Hokies' defense or my son jumping on a trampoline. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is gathering people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation through the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. He has promised He will do it, and He will use you in it. He will do with us, His servants, what is needed to fulfill His mission in all the earth. Sometimes for Paul that means he faces pain. Sometimes it means he has to leave the city before he would want to. But in Corinth, Paul is going to get to stay and he's not going to be harmed. Why? Because the living Lord Jesus says so. And the living Lord Jesus has said some things to you in your life, in his word, that you can believe, that you can bank on. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. No matter what, my presence goes with you. Not even death will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Which means you can work and labor and pursue with a a holy abandonment of all other things the glory of Christ. As we face difficulty, did Paul face difficulty? Mercy he faced difficulty. As we face difficulty for the sake of King Jesus, we can rest. How can we rest? We can rest knowing that he's at work, that he's in control, and he's rescuing people from all nations. How? How does he do it? Through you and me, because He's given us the Spirit to explain the gospel to those who need to hear it. And in, these, in this case, the Lord had promised Paul that he would not be harmed in Corinth. Yes, he's hauled the court, but he's not harmed. The Lord keeps His promise. The Jews argue that Paul is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And apparently, they're talking about the Jewish law, because that's what the argument's about in verse 15. But Gallio is not buying it, right? In verse 14, right as Paul is about ready to open his mouth to, to defend himself, can you imagine, Paul? Here we go again. Lord, you just, you just said, but now they're attacking me, so I'm going to have to defend myself. And right as he's about to open his mouth, he doesn't even have to speak a word. God keeps his promise. Galio, this Roman official, steps in and dismisses the case because they don't have a case. Like, if this was about crimes and misdemeanors, if this is about some issue of Roman law, then then sure, I would be willing to interject, but it's not. Your complaint is not about a crime. What is it about? Verse 15, it's about words and names and your own law. Now, it is possible that the Jews in Corinth we're trying to get the roman authorities to treat christianity separate from judaism so far it was considered sort of like a splinter group within judaism and so christians had the same protections as jews and and so they may have been alleging as they had done previously that paul was urging king uh, excuse me christians to follow a king other than caesar which was true right follow king jesus but he's not urging them to disobey caesar at least insofar as Caesar's law doesn't require us to disobey Jesus. So we don't know for sure what they're accusing Paul of, but Gallio rightly sees that this is a debate that is not reasonable for him to enter. And so in verse 15, he what does he say? I refuse to be a judge of these things. Praise God. For a governing official who refused to be a judge of religious debate that was none of his business. Message to our own governing officials, right? It's the principle of religious liberty right here in the text. Gallio's judgment is right. The dispute is not for him to decide. However, Luke does not want us to flip flop from dreading civil government. Because they've persecuted Paul in the past, to now loving civil government or placing our hope in it because suddenly they seem to have sound reasoning in this argument. Gallio's judgment is right, but it's not necessarily because he has a healthy understanding of the principle of what we would call separation of church and state. It's not because Gallio really cares about your personal relationship with Jesus, it's more likely that Gallio's just annoyed. And he has better things to do. You say, why would you say that? Well, look at verse 16 and 17. It seems like he just doesn't want to be bothered with religious disputes because when the charges against Paul fail, what happens? They beat up Sosthenes. Sosthenes, the the ruler of the synagogue and likely the successor to Crispus, is seized and beaten. Now, Crispus was the synagogue leader that we read about two weeks ago who was saved. He was saved by faith. So now Sosthenes, likely the next leader to step up, leads Paul down to the tribunal, tries to bring an accusation, and it fails. And though the early manuscripts of Acts don't tell us who beat up Sosthenes, scribes later added a note that said it was the Greeks or the Gentiles. Say, what is going on here? It wasn't the Christians who beat up Sosthenes, right? So who beat up Sosthenes? Who beat up this Jewish leader? It was unbelieving Gentiles because they see that Gallio is upset by the waste of his time and they feel free to go ahead and rough him up. So we don't know for sure what's going on here, but it seems that Sosthenes likely becomes a later convert. Because if you read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes the letter to the church at Corinth. And do you remember how that letter begins? Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes. Is it the same Sosthenes? I don't know. It's kind of a strange name. Maybe it's a popular name, I, I don't know. But perhaps God even uses this moment where Paul is delivered by this Roman official, and then this Jewish leader gets beaten, and he's like, what is going on? To open a door in his heart to reconsider his whole understanding of the Old Testament and to see that King Jesus fulfills everything that he was looking for, that Jesus is the Messiah. Church, I have good news for us today. Even when it seems we are having here-we-go-again moments Even when we're following Christ, we can trust that Jesus is not fickle. Jesus is not up there in heaven toying with you, He's not up there trying to to make your life miserable. He is not fickle, He is faithful. He rules and reigns in righteousness. He keeps his word. Nothing you face as you treasure Jesus and pursue his mission will ever take him by surprise. He's not just five steps ahead of you. He's an infinite number of steps ahead of you. And he is for your good in Christ Jesus. That means you can be about this work even when it's hard trusting that it's not about your ability, it's not about whether our government is for us or against us, it is about our king who is over all of that. We can pursue his work. Secondly, we're going to see in verses 18 through 22 in just a moment that we must remain personally devoted to Christ and connected and accountable to his church. Would you read with me verse 18 through 22? After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and they took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus when he had landed in Caesarea. He went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. What I want you to see again from this text is we must remain personally devoted to Christ and connected and accountable to his church, if you'll excuse me. All right, let's tease that out of these verses in these verses, verse 18 through 22, Paul wraps up his second missionary journey. Verse 18, he takes leave of the brothers, which is a fancy way of saying he left the church to go to another church. I'm going to say that sometime when I walk out of North Roanoke to like go get lunch. I'm taking leave of the brothers. He takes leave of the brothers in Corinth, and he sets sail for Syria, along with Priscilla and Aquila. As we see in verse 22, Paul is headed to Syrian Antioch. Do you remember where that is? That's the very church that had launched him out on the first and second missionary journeys in the first place. So he's going back to his sending church. But before they set sail, we learn that Paul had shaved his hair because he had been under a vow. Verse 18, do you see that? This is why I preach through the Bible systematically, because this is one of those places where I really wish the Bible gave me a little more detail. Like, okay, what's going on here? Now, most scholars believe that this was likely a form of the Nazarite vow that's described in Numbers chapter 6, where you could shave your head and or, or grow your hair and eventually shave your head when the vow is over and burn it on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem and that you would abstain from alcohol. Though Paul is not in Jerusalem or near the temple, which would have been necessary for keeping the Nazarite vow as it's described in number 6, get this, Paul now understands that the temple is not in a building. The temple is the people of God that's overspreading the globe. And so Paul, a Jew presumably takes the Nazarite vow, even though he's nowhere close to Jerusalem, to be able to fulfill it because he can have an act of devotion to God wherever he is. His devotion now to the Lord knows no geographical boundaries, and neither does his opportunity to express his personal devotion with a vow. You say, well, is Paul going back to practicing Judaism in order to be saved? And the answer is absolutely not. Paul's writings are clear. No one is saved by keeping the law. Yet, Paul takes the Nazarite vow or some kind of vow. What is going on in this text? Stott is helpful when he says, once Paul had been liberated from the attempt to be justified by the law His conscience was free to take practices which, being ceremonial or cultural, could signify his devotion and his consecration to the Lord. In other words, Paul understands this vow is not going to save me, but I want to personally have this act of consecration and devotion to the Lord. Peterson adds this making a vow and shaving the head when it was completed was a way of demonstrating his trust in God. Showing loyalty to the traditions of Israel without compromising his gospel message. In fact, it may have been a way of preaching the gospel message because when Jews see Paul likely taking the Nazarite vow, they're like, Well, don't you have to be in Jerusalem to take the Nazarite vow? Why are you cutting your hair off? You're not even in Jerusalem. He's like, It's not about a place anymore. It's about a person. The presence of God is found in Christ. He fully tabernacled the presence of God, 1 John 1:14. He has come. The glory of God is not in a building. It's in a person, and we are in Him by faith, and His glory is overspreading the globe, and I'm devoted to Him right now. Why don't you meet your King? Hallelujah. Still others suggest that Paul's vow wasn't necessarily the Nazarite vow, but it may have been a vow of thanksgiving to the Lord, For his protection throughout his time in in Corinth until the time of his departure. Here's the bottom line. We don't know why Paul made a vow. We have some good ideas, but we don't know. Are you okay with not knowing? We don't have to know everything, right? We know what we need to know. And what we need to know is that Paul was devoted to the Lord. Do Do you believe that Paul was devoted to the Lord? that his devotion, his sincerity, his ambition, everything he was living for was for the glory of his king. And I want you to get this. Just because he was personally devoted to the Lord, he did not use that as an excuse to operate outside of accountability to the local church. Just because Paul was personally accountable devoted to the lord well look me and jesus we're good i'll just go do whatever i want to do you ever heard that i trusted jesus when i was seven and i'm i'm now in the church universal so i just kind of i created my own ministry i created my own bible study i just do my own thing because i'm just not a i'm not a a institution kind of person really where's that in the bible do my own thing when I want to do my own thing. Don't really ask my pastor about it. Don't really talk to my leaders about it. Just kind of make it up my own spiritual journey as I go. Find that in the Bible. You won't. The local church is the place where the people of the church universal work out The salvation that God has given them in the here and now. It's the boots on the ground place where the church universal marches. It marches in local churches all across the globe. And I've jumped way ahead in my notes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul is devoted to Christ. None of us would question his devotion. He has a deep, abiding, personal devotion to Jesus. And that devotion is important for every single one of you. I want all of you to have a personal, intimate connection with your king by faith. I'm not undermining that. I'm not saying that's not important. But it doesn't absolve you from the need to be integrally a part of a local church. Yes, do everything you do for the glory of God, Colossians 3.17. Be personally vested in what you are doing. Personal devotion to Jesus is not optional for any Christian who follows Jesus. Jesus is our treasure. He is what motivates our living and our giving and our sharing and our serving and our everything. All other motivations for being here, for going to work, for living out your marriage, all other motivations that fall short of devotion. to Christ will be exposed as the shams that they are on the day of Christ Jesus. Personal devotion to King Jesus is essential, and it is certainly appropriate to carve out ways to express our devotion to Him. Did Paul walk around saying, all of you people need to take a vow like me? No. Did he say, all of you people need to fast like me? No. Did he say, all of you people need to do exactly what I'm doing? No, it is okay if you want to take a fast from food, if you want to take a fast from social media, if you want to take an extended season of prayer. There will be times in the future where we may do that even as a whole church, but we don't take our personal devotion and then make it a law for everyone else. We know Paul remains committed to the mission Right, they, they get to Ephesus first before they get back over to Syria. They stop in Ephesus, and what does Paul do? He keeps sharing the gospel. Though the Spirit had originally prevented Paul from entering Asia, now Paul is able to go into Ephesus, which is in Asia. And while Paul is in Ephesus, what does Paul do? He goes and plays golf. All right? No, no. He goes to the synagogue. He does the same thing he does in every other place. And he reasoned with the Jews who were there. The word reason, we've seen it many times now in Acts. It means to argue or to lecture. He presents the case. Once again, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed king of God. He is the king that you've been looking for. Israel's legitimate ruler is here. Why don't you start to follow him? Paul does what Paul does. But something happens in Ephesus. They urge Paul to remain for a longer time and and Paul says no. Now we've got to do a little bit of reading between the lines here. We don't know why Paul declines other than he's got to get back to the church that sent him out. And so rather than stay in Ephesus, there's this great gospel opportunity in Ephesus. He wanted to get to Ephesus from the start, but he doesn't stay in Ephesus. Instead, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila to continue the work. And he says, I'll come back, verse 21, do you see it? If God wills. Now we'll see in his third missionary journey that Paul will get back, but for right now, Paul is teaching us some important lessons. Paul needs to get back to his sending church. He's now been gone for the year and a half in Corinth, plus however long it took him to get to Corinth, and he owes the people and the church that God worked through to call him out to this second missionary journey, he owes them a report back about what has happened. And so while he would have loved to have stayed in Ephesus, while he would have loved to have seized the moment The will of God is for him to get back to his local church. Aren't you glad to see that Paul shows us that our devotion to Jesus doesn't override God's will for our lives? Even when God presents what seems to be an amazing evangelistic opportunity, Paul does not run ahead of the Lord's will. He doesn't get ahead of God. You can't use your personal faithfulness to Jesus as an excuse to get ahead of Jesus. Does that make sense? We're we're not pragmatists as Christians. This is important. We are are not, well, if it works, do it kind of people. Well, if if it seems to work, it must be right. No, we are personally devoted to the Lord, which means that we want to do the will of the Lord in community with believers in His way. What is obedience to Jesus? It is the Lord's will in the Lord's way on the Lord's schedule in accountability with a local church. That's radical obedience to Jesus. It is time for Paul to return to Antioch, the church that sent him out. It's time for him to report back what has happened. It's time to have fellowship and refreshment in the gospel. Even Paul called by King Jesus to represent him on the Damascus Road does not appeal to his personal relationship with Jesus to bypass his vital connection with the church. To be under the authority of Jesus, listen to this sentence, it's a key principle that we see throughout the New Testament, to be under the authority of Jesus is to live in accountability to a local church. To live under the authority of Jesus, is to live in accountability to a local church. Paul, in Ephesians 5.25, says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Church, did you hear that? Jesus died to save the church, for himself. To be saved by Jesus is to be saved into a family. If Jesus has saved you, he's saved you into his church. Jesus perfectly shapes and forms and sanctifies his people, get this, in imperfect churches. Where do you discover the perfect love of God? In community with other imperfect Christians in an imperfect church. Do you need the perfect love of God if everything is perfect? I mean, yes, but would you recognize that you need the perfect love of God if everything was perfect? Most likely not. God is sanctifying His people. He's taking them on the journey to perfection in community with imperfect churches. Our great need in the United States of America today, in the version of Christianity that's operating today, is what we need today is a reclamation to take back for the church, for the good of his people, the vital connection between loving Jesus and living out our faith in community and accountability with a local family of faith. Jesus did not die to save you to be solo. He died to save you into a family that encourages one another, rebukes one another, admonishes one another, confesses our sin to one another, that is long-suffering with one another, that is patient to one another, that serves one another. The one-anothers of the New Testament, there's 57 of them, are to be lived out in this family. I'm thankful to have a family where we can do the one-another. Or we can weep with one another when we're grieving. We can rejoice with one another when we're rejoicing. We need to banish from the way of doing business this me and Jesus Christianity that has little to no connection to the local church. Paul will eventually get back to Ephesus, but not at the expense of his connection to the church of Antioch, which sent him out in the first place. In verse 21, we see that Paul, after declining to stay in Ephesus, he sets sail. And his ultimate destination is Antioch. But first he goes to Caesarea, and then he goes up to greet the church. Verse 22, well, what church is that? It's the church in Jerusalem. Because you have to go up to Jerusalem. There's no way to go down to Jerusalem because it's at the top of a ridge or a hill. So you always go up to Jerusalem. And then after he goes up to Jerusalem, they go down to the church at Antioch where we will see next week in verse 23 that he spent some time there before launching his third missionary journey. So as we conclude this morning, Paul's second missionary journey, as we see that Paul has completed the assignment, I want to make sure we grab these two lessons. To complete the assignment, we must pursue the work that God has given to us for the sake of our king, with confidence because he is the king. <laughs> He's overall. And second, we must resist the pull of our culture to separate our work from Jesus from the church of Jesus Christ. We are to be about the work of the upbuilding of his church. The way that God intends for us to work out his will for the church universal, in the church universal, is through our involvement and faithfulness and accountability in the church local. Christ died for the church. Disciples are made in local churches. Who baptizes and teaches? Not the church universal, it's the church local. Did you know podcasts can't baptize anybody? well, I'm just going to do my my salvation on Apple iTunes. I'm just going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling with a podcast. Show me a podcast that baptized anybody. Show me a podcast that counseled anybody whose marriage is about to fall apart. Show me a podcast that went with a family through the grieving of a, a sudden tragic death. Show me a podcast that showed up in a hospital room. Show me a podcast that held a newborn baby. Oh, well, I just, I got 17 preachers that I like on a loop. Great. And they're all better than your pastor. I know that. But none of them, none of them will get with you in the trenches of your life and help you make a phone call to forgive the person that hurt you. So that you could be set free. There's not a podcast or a presentation. Oh, you can get good information. I'm not saying that it's not helpful. But disciples are made in local churches. Celebrity pastors can't lovingly correct with the benefit of context. It is local churches that we are commanded, where we are commanded to do the hard work of loving one another across the generations. I'm so thankful. I told Miss Thelma Dooley right here on the second row, she turned 97, did I get that right? She turned 97 this week. Yeah, you can clap for her. And uh, I was a day late on her birthday, I meant to to give her a call on her birthday and I missed it, so I sent her a text and said happy belated birthday and she texted me back, this is awesome by the way, this huge emoji. Like, I don't know how it was doing that. This huge smiley face emoji. And I texted her back. I said, I just wanted you to know, I love to hear you sing every Sunday. And I do, because she's right behind me. But you know what she's doing? She she loves the old hymns. We're doing some of the old hymns and a, a lot of the newer stuff. And you know what? She's singing out on every song. May not be comfortable, but she's here for the glory of Christ because she wants to see this family thrive for the glory of God. She is not here for her. She's here for Jesus. And if this is what the local church looks like in 2022, all praise to Christ. God, give us some more Thelma Doolies. The local church is a family. It spans generations. It spans ethnicities. It is all who are saved by the g- grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And I, I am so pumped to see every one of you here today. And I believe we are really just beginning to see what God might do through North Roanoke Baptist Church as we lay down our treasures as we lay down our preferences for our one united mission of making disciples and as as an act of obedience to our King. And we do it with confidence. We do it with confidence because our King has made promises. Our King never fails. And He's given us a church to work out our salvation in with fear and trembling. So this morning, as our instrumentalists come and our vocalists come, there's, there's two options. There's, there's two ways that you might respond this morning. Well, really, there's three. You might just say, amen, I agree. Praise God. But oftentimes when we hear a sermon with which we agree, we also say, oh me. There was something in there for me. There was something I, I needed to learn. And maybe this morning, maybe you would say that's, that's great that, that Jesus keeps his promises and, and he, he will prevail, but I haven't actually been about the work of Christ. I've been sitting on the sideline. I've just been complaining, throwing, throwing stones at whoever's doing the work, and I actually need to be about the work. I know Jesus, Jesus saved me but there's this hurt in my past that has dominated me, I haven't even been doing the work some of you are in that boat this morning I have good news for you Jesus is ready to give you a fresh start right now so in this room whoever wants to come and say I I just need to be about the work I need a place to serve we invite you to come And then others of you, you need to jump into a church family. You need to stop sitting on the sidelines saying, I know Jesus over here, over there. You need to say, I am going to work in this fellowship. This is going to be the place where I give encouragement, I find encouragement, I am held accountable, and I help others be accountable to our King. So whether you need to become a part of a church or be about the work, I'm going to pray for us. God in heaven. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence among us. And thank you that the work will be finished. And we believe this on the authority of your word, knowing that you are King. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's App Store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.